0: Welcome to the 5am grind. Our mission is to create content to help you pursue your dreams in entrepreneurship or land that dream career. Tune in every week to get insights on mindset, goal setting, lifestyle, and exclusive interviews from leading entrepreneurs and business leaders across the country. to the 5am grind. Um, we're pleased to bring you an interview today with a guest uh, whose name is Tim Brady. Tim is uh, somebody who's a pretty young entrepreneur. He essentially uh, graduated from university, worked in finance for a little while at RBC and then at a hedge fund, then finally got the opportunity to buy a company outright. He was looking for a software company, finally got a company to buy, and he decided to go all in, quit his job buy a certain company and then now he's running that particular company i think this interview is quite interesting because a lot of people think that there are there is really only one way to entrepreneurship and that is that you need to come up with an amazing idea and then quit your job and then start but here is somebody who took a completely different approach and instead of going out and starting something from the ground up he decided to go out there buy a company that he liked and that was suitable to his criteria and his standards and uh, now he's become a full time entrepreneur.
1: Yeah, and it's a great example for all of you young entrepreneurs who would think that either you're not ready or you're too young. Um, all you gotta do is dive in.
0: Dive in, jump in. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview. Welcome to the 5An, Brian. We're pleased to welcome Tim Brady to the podcast. Tim, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey guys, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Excited about it.
0: So. Awesome. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. So I wanted to ask you, for those of our listeners who don't know um Coligo, is it Coligo or Coligio? Am I pronouncing it? It's that it's correctly?
2: whatever you want to call it, but Coligo <laughs> works just fine. So, Coligo. Uh,
0: All right, could you explain what your company does?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we build applications that integrate the Microsoft 365 suite. Um, so as you know, 85% of organizations in the world use some form of Microsoft product, right? Mostly SharePoint, um, office 365. Uh, so we build applications that sit on top of that and actually make the Microsoft suite a lot more usable and accessible. Uh, we do that through a few products, but that's the, uh, the general crux of what we do. So
0: fantastic. Um, so Tim, what we're going to do today is then cover some background type questions just about your career, your company, how'd you get involved, all that good stuff. And then we'll move on to some success habits questions as well. So just for your background. So going back to when you were a kid in your childhood, what was that like? Did you grow up in Toronto?
2: I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I actually, um, I grew up in a super entrepreneurial household. Uh, okay. Both my parents entrepreneurs. Uh, so grew up, you know, around, around that environment. And, uh, uh, you know, we were the kids at a, a young age uh, opening up the lemonade stand. And then, you know, that evolved into the the lawn mowing business. And uh, I think I sold water filters in high school. I had to mm-hmm. import water filters from the US, sell them to everyone in the neighborhood and on the street. And uh, um, and that was so that was really just, uh, you know, always wanted to uh, um, improve processes that were out there and try and build uh, some form of a company. And obviously, that evolved quite a bit. And uh, those were a lot of fun. But uh, um, very entrepreneurial household, uh, kind of ingrained in me at a young age that uh, um, you can you can do whatever you want to do and uh, and go out and just build stuff. So
0: fantastic. What did your mom and dad do if you don't mind sharing?
2: Yes, they're both in the financial services industry. Okay. So, they independently built uh, their own uh, um, firms, and uh, um, yeah, so very good, you know, role models to grow up around if you uh, want to be entrepreneurial one day and uh, um, see what it takes and the uh, kind of dedication and commitment and uh, um, hard work uh, that it takes to uh, build something. So.
1: You know, you know, we talk about this often how um, one of the the downsides for growing up like for us was that uh, our parents weren't entrepreneurial enough and so a lot of it was us trying to figure it out later on in life and 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 if only you could start earlier I guess with you what was one of the biggest um, like benefits of having parents that were entrepreneurial like what was one lesson that they taught you early on that kind of stuck with you
2: Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty long list. I think, (laughs) uh, you know, first one that comes to mind is hard work. Um, uh, so my dad built his insurance company from basically zero, um, into a fairly big company and it was just hard work i remember you know as kids it would be saturdays we'd go to the the office with him because he was working there and of course we were playing you know video games on the yeah. computer and trying to figure out this uh, internet net thing which was brand new at the time and uh you know and i playing games on the floppy disk and all that but uh uh that was that was that was it right seeing the hard work it's you know it's uh, mornings uh, nights evenings weekends uh um, so I think that was that was one of the big ones uh, the other thing is uh, just discipline right I mean um, we were brought up to you got to go work for whatever you want nothing's given to you and uh, uh, to their credit I mean it rubbed off my brother uh, sister as well both you know very successful in their own domains and uh, um, I think that you know came from our parents just seeing the hard work and what it takes to uh, to actually build something and uh, I mean we all know the statistics around how many businesses actually end up being yeah. viable entities mm-hmm. and survive over the long term and uh, um, try and replicate a lot of that as I you know, build, uh, build Caligo here and uh, make it a durable, long-lasting um, Canadian software company. So,
0: That's fantastic. Um, so fast forward then. So you grew up in Toronto, a lot of entrepreneurial influences from your parents. You decided to go to business school. Uh, you did finance. Is that right?
2: It is. Yeah. So actually, I went to uh, the Ivy uh, Business School and uh, uh, took the finance route um, out of school. You know, it was the best place to learn a ton about the world, in my opinion. Uh, Went and uh, worked at RBC and uh, uh, was able to work for some tremendous mentors there, um, which really kind of shaped the trajectory for my career. Uh, so I did. I always had the affinity for technology and software, and uh, was able to get into the software group um, at RBC, and uh, and then uh, took that after a few uh, years and went to a uh, investment firm, uh, Picton Mahoney in Toronto. Um, was able to really. Participate in and invest in a lot of uh, companies uh, um, there on the on the technology team, and uh, again worked for just an incredible incredible mentor. Uh, really helped shape you know who I became over time, and uh, um, and then when the opportunity came about uh, to uh, um, go and build uh, my own uh, company, it will be a software which uh, um, parent company of Caligo, um I I lunged at it and uh, decided this was the one and uh, went all in on it. And uh, um, that was kind of the path that led there from uh, business school. So,
0: so I really like that. And I wanted to zoom into that story because it's quite interesting because you had a very, you would say, a very traditional career path. You graduated, did well in school, I assume. That's why you landed a pretty good gig at RBC and then went worked for an investment management firm. Um, so I wanted to zoom in a bit. So why did you decide to go into finance? Was it just because your parents were in it already or you thought it'd be a good career? Did you ever think when graduating that, you know what, screw the finance route, I'm going to start my own business? Did that thought come cross your mind?
2: <laughs> it certainly crossed my mind uh, at various points, I'm sure. No. I, I did have a uh, business I was running during university as well, and it obviously it didn't g- gain enough product market fit to really um, lead to anywhere that was going to support a career. And I, you know, I was eager to to learn and figure out more about the world, and uh, I, I did. Quite frankly, I loved the uh, markets too. It was kind of that uh, I was torn between, you know, loving the entrepreneurial side, but. Also wanting to take on the finance world and go learn as much as I could there. Um, and I figured, you know, that you have a window to go and do that. Um, entrepreneurship and uh, uh, building a company was something I could always do whenever I felt it was the right time. Um, so I went all in on the, the finance side and uh, um, yeah, I was lucky enough to end up at a good firm uh, with great people um, at RBC of school. And, uh, um, yeah, but you know, it was something that was always nagging at me. Right. Mm. And, uh, you know, you could call it less traditional. I like the, the wording used there. I think the other way is to think about it is, uh, um, you know, I was privy to meeting with hundreds of CEOs, right. Um, uh, as part of the the role and, uh, that continued at, uh, Mahoney. And it was, you know, figuring out what makes the companies that are durable, are successful, are high growth, like what, What makes them go versus the ones who are less successful and uh, really being able to dial in uh, what's the differentiating factors and what's it take to um, strategy wise to to make make a company successful. And um, yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of founders of uh, startups and high growth companies definitely come from the product side for sure. Um, but I think, there, you know, you need to you need to try and understand both sides and uh, um, everybody takes a different path. And I think uh, the one that I took kind of set set me up well for um, exactly what I'm doing now.
1: Um, so you said within your experience with your firm, your professional experience, you um, met a lot of CEOs and, and you kind of got an insight that a lot of people um, wouldn't. So what was kind of your biggest takeaway from seeing all these founders and CEOs running their businesses that kind of had an impact on you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it really, boiled down to it, every great company that I met with in the software domain Um, and and there was hundreds, right? Everyone has a different setup of their organization, but it really comes down to having a great product first. Um, You can, you can fake it all the way along with a great sales and marketing organization, but if you don't have a great product that only gets you so far, uh, It's, you know, the the companies that I always looked up to, it was, you know, they could, a lot of them are part of this new product-led growth uh, movement uh, where the products essentially are self-serve and um, sell themselves in a sense. But uh, I think really to get a flywheel going, and I'm a big believer in in flywheels for um, creating durable uh, competitive advantages for companies over time. I think it's, uh, you need a great product. Um, That's first and foremost. Then you need to build a great Uh, sales and marketing motion around that. Um, I do think, you know, the whole sales motion kicks off with marketing. It's a marketing led Mm -hmm. um, uh, motion uh, that makes companies successful. And I I think that uh, uh, none of, you know, you kind of work through the different uh, functional groups, but but you you need a good Product right—that's what gets you in the game. It yeah. needs to be 10x your competitors. Uh. Um, it needs to be—you know—as hard as that is at all times to, to yeah. quantify. Right? Are we—are we five x or we fifteen right now? But uh, and it changes. It's very dynamic. It's—it's it's by no means static at all um but it starts with the product and then uh you know you need to build the sales and marketing org around that and uh um it takes all the pieces to really build a successful company yeah
1: but for sales and marketing though did you take any of those courses in undergrad um or was this something that you learned once you got out
2: yeah totally uh it's you know i took it took sales uh, or there's not really a course for sales yeah. right but i think I think sales is like a naturally developed skill that you, you you're always kind of selling, right? Even when you're in university yeah. and you're recruiting for your first job, and then you know at your first job, you know it's it sales is I think you know, you can do things to coach yourself and practice and all that, but, uh, it really comes from experience and just trying new things. And you're, you're kind of building that throughout your whole life. Um, uh, marketing. I mean, I think every business student in Canada has to take some form yeah, of yeah. marketing course. Yeah. That's by no means my strong suit. Um, and that's why we have, I have to build a great team around me. We have a phenomenal VP marketing, um, on our team. And I, I realize that's one of my, my weak, weaker areas. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, to answer your question, like I, i certainly took all the, the courses in general business area that you could take so
1: guys <laughs> one of the things and i just wanted to add to yeah, that one yeah, of the things yeah, that, that i'd right. complain about was none of the business schools have any kind of real sales courses or anything that ties marketing into sales so, so
0: funny enough on this very topic believe yeah. it or not but ivy the school you went to tim actually has a professor of sales they i think hired him quite recently so because they've realized because a lot of the alumni yeah. the students said this is arguably the most important skill set in business, sales, and it's not thought. Yes, you learn it indirectly, like you just said, because you sell yourself when you're yeah. meeting, like you're anything, right? You're meeting a friend, you're selling yourself, you're meeting your spouse, you're selling yourself, you're going yeah. for a job, you're selling yourself, you're doing it all the time. Totally. But yeah. uh, finally, I think they've they've seen the importance of having a sales course yeah. at the school. Yeah. So I thought that was quite
2: interesting. For sure. Yeah, no, that's it's amazing. I, I think I saw that as well, and uh, I thought it was fantastic, and it's so... It's so true, right? And and finding someone who is good in sales—they're they're really hard to find. Good yeah. good uh, salespeople. Um, there's no there's no generally accepted curriculum for it, and uh, um, yeah, that's I think it's fantastic that because uh, uh, you're seeing it with the 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 gig economy and uh, um, you know. It's, Tech becomes a bigger part of you know Canada's economy, but globally the economy, um, you're seeing these massive software companies just uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, bring on tons of salespeople and uh, put them through rigorous training programs. Well, mm-hmm. if that you know if that was a, something in university as well, I think it would be uh, I think it would be beneficial to yeah. uh, um, Canada, but just the overall economy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: fantastic. Um, so Tim, just zooming into your background then, and to the extent that you can share. So basically you worked at RBC, went, went to Picton Mahoney. And then when did you sort of decide to be like, okay, I'm going to start my own software company and then I'm going to try and buy another one. How did that come about?
2: Yeah, for sure. It was really, uh, it was opportunistic. So I had certainly uh, um, been keeping my eyes open for mm-hmm. um, something I found interesting. And it was really uh, when I came across something that it really was a two-pronged thesis, right? So uh, SharePoint was becoming more central to Microsoft's platform it was becoming the core of the platform and not a lot of people realize this a lot of people if you rewind three years i'm gonna say four years ago people thought sharepoint was becoming kind of this uh silo on its own and microsoft not, might not even make a new version of it at some point and uh and uh, just through you know my channels research um looking at product roadmap i saw that sharepoint was actually becoming more central to everything microsoft was doing in the microsoft 365 suite and and so you know if you think of sharepoint what it really is it's it's a repository right it's a content um, it's the content hub of the enterprise it's it's it does a lot more but at a nuts and bolts level it's where you save your enterprise's content um, but with the emergence of Teams, uh, t- Teams is really just a skin on SharePoint, makes SharePoint more usable. So when you interact or send a file uh, with a colleague over Teams, uh, that file actually gets saved to SharePoint. Um, that conversation gets saved to SharePoint, um, and. Uh, and, and so it's really powerful, right? And, and so I saw this as like the layer underlying Microsoft 365 and, and wanted exposure to it. Um, I'd spent most of my time in the investing side in, in the content services, content management space, uh, um, observing names like OpenText, Microsoft, and uh, you name it. And so I had a pretty good understanding of the space, was able to learn a ton about um, the roadmaps and what was happening in the industry. Um, and then the second thing was cloud, right? So I was looking for a company that uh, um, was really uh, levered to the cloud and had a good opportunity there. Uh, at Caligo, there was, you know, the cloud was only just a r- real burgeoning opportunity, Um the company you know has hundreds, if not thousands, of customers at the time of, um, uh, of uh, um, acquiring it, and uh, a really strong brand name, strong history, great customer service, great people, um, and I thought I could really be that that uh, driver to shift the company towards uh, the next. 10, 15, 20 years um, and bring us into a cloud first company. And uh, uh, that's really, you know, been my focus and what I've done. And uh, that was why I wanted to get involved with, uh, with Caligo and uh, um, come in and uh, drive that next leg. So it was really looking at those two things, right? The, the cloud opportunity and SharePoint that's uh, led me to Caligo and uh, I had to go for the opportunity when I saw it. And uh, um, yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: whenever, uh, so I've I get, I get, people asking me when they're starting a business um, because they're trying to figure out what services to take on, whether it's G suite or um, basically most of the time it's G suite or Microsoft. I always say Microsoft because our firm would not be able to grow as quickly if it wasn't for SharePoint, the way SharePoint and teams, all of it come together and how Mm. seamless it is. It's like the, just a repository being able to disseminate knowledge between everybody in the firm, um, just having everybody work together. I don't think there is a product uh, that's even close to SharePoint right now in the market.
2: Yeah, I mean uh, it's your. I think you're bang on. It's uh, nothing against G Suite, right? Um, Google puts out some great products, yeah, um, and and very cloud centric. But uh, for the enterprise scale and and you know delivering what the enterprise needs, I mean the Microsoft Suite is uh, um, far ahead of all the others, and and the numbers are. Uh, like the numbers uh, share the story quite well. Like Microsoft's adding like eight million users yeah. per quarter, and the the number two, I guess, box would be adding about two million a quarter, right? And so yeah. the the gap just keeps widening between um, Microsoft and uh, and the other um, applications. I mean, it it, no, it is interesting here. though yeah. um, at the at the ground level. If you are starting a company, I mean, the whole public cloud in general has lowered you know, lower the bar of what it takes to start a company. Anyone can go, you know, top a credit card, pay a hundred dollars and get up and running on AWS or Azure. And uh, it definitely, at the very small company level, they're all great, right? Uh, um, Microsoft can deliver um, just as good of an experience to the small Business as they do to the enterprise, but uh, um, Google offers some obviously great uh, products at the at the small business level as well as does Box and Dropbox. And uh, um, there's certainly, I think, where it really where the differentiators really kick in is uh, as the companies start to scale and uh, um, they need they need something like Teams to um, standardize on and yeah. communicate and share files across the organization and not have you know 15 different applications for Zoom for video and Slack mm-hmm. for chat and. They just want one to do it all and make sure that content ends up in the uh, secure place at the end of the day. So,
1: I mean, if you have like ten different uh, programs that you're using, each program independently may be um, secure, but I find like it's a headache trying to manage all of those passwords. People are going to be writing them down somewhere. It's going to be for me. That's one of the biggest like security issues too. With our with our law firm, one of the biggest things is everything needs to be secure. Teams is also um, in terms of encryption and everything, it's far ahead of Zoom or anybody else. So that is another added um, you know, I Zoom had I think people kind of bombing I'm not In I'm not anti Zoom, right? Yeah. I I love Zoom. <laughs> we're doing this <laughs> right? on Zoom. Yeah, we're doing this on Zoom as <laughs> well. Um and and it's not like Microsoft's paying me for this, but I, I feel like anybody any, who has any kind of ambition when they're starting a business, it's just a no-brainer. There's an absolutely no-brainer. Yeah. For me, whenever, because a lot of people will come and they'll be like, why not uh, G Suite? Again, I have nothing against with G Suite. And a lot of people have Gmail. There's not as many people with Outlook or Hotmail anymore. Mm-hmm. So everybody's like, okay, the natural kind of next step is G Suite. But it's nothing, nowhere near Microsoft has. Interesting. This is turned into an advertisement, but still. We'll get away
0: from the Microsoft conversation. <laughs> so, so Tim, I, I like your story because, you know, we have on, entrepreneurs on the show and a lot of people know the common narrative of entrepreneurs, that is that you find a great idea, you start it, you have great success, you know, and that's the story that really is portrayed in the media. Yours is quite interesting because it's the other path, the lesser known one, but equally could be equally as rewarding. And that is you go out there, you buy a business and then run it, and then you become an entrepreneur effectively. Um, When you sort of bought Colego, walk us through that process. What was that process like of buying the company in terms of just, I guess, raising financing, due diligence, all of that process? Could you walk us through it? Just at a very high level.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I was fortunate enough to have built um, somewhat of a track record at the prior firm. And so when it came time to acquire the company, mm-hmm. um, had certainly had a few backers who stepped up and said, Hey, yes, if, you know, we'll, we'll back you on this um, on this uh, acquisition, if, if you can pull it off and uh, um, and, and all from all different backgrounds, different areas. And, uh, uh, and so that was, that was fantastic, right? Cause you're kind of going into the unknown a little, Bit when you put your, um, you you go through the LOI process and then through the purchase agreement uh, process and diligence process, but uh, it was good to at least know that we had the uh, financial backing from um, uh, from several parties that uh, were willing to come to the table if we were able to pull this off. They believed in the thesis, the vision, the um, and the story, and uh, you know it helped quite a bit through that process and 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 getting those backers on board that on itself was such a great company, right? It, it really lowered the the risk threshold um, in a sense that, you know, the company, as I said, had tons of customers, enterprise-grade customers, uh, you know, low-churn, mission-critical products. Um, and this was really coming in and 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 helping it grow and, you know, preparing it and building it for the next, you know, 15, 20 years and uh, um, figuring out how to do that. And uh, um, and so it, so it actually was a quite uh, – it was – by no means an easy process running mm-hmm. diligence and, uh, um, whatnot, uh, on any company. It's, uh, it's certainly um, challenging when you don't have a whole team working for you to, to pull it off, but, uh, Oh, solid. And the records were in such great shape and everything that uh, made the process, uh, um, fairly seamless. So.
0: Nice. Um, so in terms of buying a company, then if someone was to ask you, what are some of the lessons, some key takeaways about if someone was to go through with an acquisition, what are some key takeaways you would have for that, that person, regardless of industry, uh, some things to watch out for.
2: Yeah, I get this one quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Um, my response changes o- over time, but, uh, <laughs> no, I think it's, you know, with any acquisition, it's, it's uncovering the skeletons, right? You don't want to be surprised with anything after the fact. Um, so so I'm a big proponent uh, and this speaks largely to how I approach any work. But just going as deep and as thorough as you can um, with your diligence, putting in the work, not leaving any stone unturned, uh, I think that's that's table stakes. Just you, you got to do that. You don't want to um, get in the door um, a week a week in or a month in and uh, find something that you, you, you didn't know was there. Uh, the second would be uh, black swan events are now on the table. So you yeah. certainly have to incorporate those into your, your model. Um, and that's, that's been a learning process, right? I mean, uh, um, as much as it didn't affect us as many other businesses in the world, it still created some uncertainty and some, you know, right at the beginning of the pandemic, what, what's the next couple months going to look like that, that just aren't in a traditional um, traditional environment. And uh, so that's certainly, you know, Bulletproofing, uh, uh, making your 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 scenarios, playing out the black swan in your scenarios, and uh, um, being ready to make changes on the fly uh, quicker. Um, when you're looking at a company, you know just having that that extra plan in place. Um, and then I would say, you know, the most important thing, and uh, we luckily did this well. So I. I I would would share it as something everybody should do is talk to the customers and the employees before the acquisition Mm -hmm. um, as part of the diligence process so I was able to speak with many of the individuals from Caligo, and and it certainly um, really helped convince me again that this was the the right uh, right, uh, company to go into uh, just a great great team really solid solid people that cared about what they did cared about the customers uh, so that was fantastic. And then, you know, talking to the customers themselves, uh, it helps validate the product. And you can find out how mission critical something is when you speak to a few customers. And uh, I think that really gave me further surety. And I, I, I think everybody should do that when they look at a potential acquisition. So,
1: so one thing is is nowadays, I think, uh, I feel like companies are priced to like a, a very
0: perfection like, yeah perfection the like valuations
1: are high valuations are insane right yeah. um where it's like everything is just going to go to the moon and it's going to go yeah. exactly all that future plan. growth yeah. is priced in so how would you um go in and then the people who are selling often enough founders are attached to the company as well how would you go in and try to negotiate um prop the price or what kind of negotiating tactics would you have to May, when you're buying a company to have it more on your side, you know, to cover your basis, to, to, to cover the black swan event, because if it's pr- uh, a price of perfection a black swan happens and then you're kind of, you're off, that's it, it's done. It, you could have 30 plans, but um, sometimes it's not, it's not going to go through. So what would you say is something that like somebody should go in in terms of negotiating the way they should kind of treat that whole um, pricing part of that business purchase?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, valuation and pricing is probably the hardest uh, thing in the world to figure out what, what is the right price, right? I mean, traditional right. valuation would tell you, you know, you can use a model for anything and figure out a price. And then, you know, in reality, it's just what someone's willing to pay for something right. Is, right. Uh, is the right. price of the right valuation. And uh, um, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, yeah, I think what I would say is that you can't if you're buying the right company and you've looked at many scenarios and and your thesis is strong. Um, the black swan event, especially in software, this doesn't necessarily apply to other businesses. Uh, doesn't really um, uh, impact you that much in terms of what you should pay if your software is truly mission critical. It's not one of those things that's getting cut as a line item by the CFO. Um, at your customers, um, then, then, then the black swan doesn't really affect you that much. And conversely, there's always a rebound, right? As we're learning from this pandemic, mm-hmm. it's okay. Yes, there might have been a month or two where people were just pushing out purchasing decisions or sitting on their hands a little bit, and then ITs roared back stronger. The IT spending environments roared back stronger than you know possibly we've ever seen before. Um, and that 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 longer that rebound is much bigger than the the initial decline was in uh, software world. And uh, and so on whole, your 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 linear line, if you were to look over a, a normalized uh, Um, period uh, would actually be continuing on the same trend that was taking place before the pandemic. Uh, I think you know SAS and globally is supposed to add another 20 billion dollars uh, of spending this year and another 20 billion next year I mean the, the growth is just insane and uh, you know when you look at those broader secular trends the, the Black Swan event um, it's a wrinkle in that that secular trend right it's a it's a temporary or transitory type event for if you're fortunate enough to be in the in the software and technology uh, world in the right space and have a good product and and so long way of saying that I don't think, if you're in software and you really know the business well and know what you're getting into that, that shouldn't affect your price that much. I mean, maybe you can price in an additional um, risk factor a little bit, but uh, um, certainly if you're in other sectors, that's something you need to, factor and i mean if you're buying a restaurant for example um where you basically had to shut down for a year uh it would be a totally different scenario and not my area of expertise but uh you'd certainly have to factor that in and uh, hopefully play, pay a, a risk-adjusted price for that so
0: um, Tim, the other question I had for you is, um, and I'm putting you on the spot a bit here, so I hope you don't mind, <laughs> uh, you're a relatively young CEO, uh, I'd guess between 25, 30, I don't know, you're not going to really be your <laughs> age, I'm just guessing, I might be completely wrong. That's, that's a compliment, I'll take I that. I might yeah. be completely wrong. <laughs> but what are, what are some of the challenges and maybe yeah. the advantages of being such a young CEO? Because, you know,
2: Certainly.
0: in Silicon Valley, it's very much, it's, your, it's young CEOs, etc., they manage huge teams, so it's clearly, it can be very successful. Well, you know, I want to kind of hear the other part. What are some of the challenges that that might get in the way?
2: I think definitely the advantages of being a young CEO is just the... the 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 energy and the pace we can bring to the table and i like to think this trickles down through the company Um, hopefully it starts at the top but we we like to think we move faster and are more agile than any company out there um especially in our our area of the market um and so we look at everything and see how we can just innovate on it we come into things you know looking to learn and eager to improve on everything that's out there so we don't have any um history and and uh uh, old ways of doing things that were resting on our laurels Mm -hmm. and and uh uh, we're able to just take that into everything we do I think for myself it you know i go into everything just trying to learn and meet as many people as possible and uh, um, hopefully that transpires into the company having better output because of that um, I also i think that uh, there's a lot of downside too like I didn't work through the Dot com bubble. Um, that was, you know, I was, was fairly young when that took place, and uh, um, and so I, I wasn't able to learn from that experience like a lot of um, CEOs that have been around for a really long time have been. Um, conversely, I'm I'm a student of everything and trying to outwork everybody in terms of the learning. So I, I've you know read about it and try and take it into everything I do and and try and uh, build upon that. Um, but, uh, at the same time, it, uh, it wasn't, you know, in my working experience. So, yeah. um, that's definitely a downside, right? There's a lot of individuals out there that uh, have that under their belt and, uh, have seen that. And especially as, you know, there'll be thoughts everywhere and not necessarily my view that we're in bubbles in certain areas of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people who've been there and done that before have can, can come into that with a little more, uh, perspective than perhaps a younger, younger CEO can, yeah. but, uh, um, you know what, I think, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for, um, attacking problems and coming in, um, green and just, you know, you, you know, a lot more about what you don't know and are willing to learn more. And I think that uh, is certainly an advantage that, uh, um, hopefully transpires through our company.
0: So. Fantastic. Right.
1: No, I was just gonna, you know, like one of the things that it reminded me of was a lot of the, um, uh, CEOs that I, I, I come across when they're older, yeah. it's true. It's just, you kind of, it, I don't know if it's there, you're stuck in your ways, but as you do get older, um, depending on the size of the firm, yeah. um, you're kind of, le- you're more risk averse. And I, I feel like it's not just that you've gone through a lot. It's more like when you're younger you're ready to run through a wall, so it's like <laughs> it's like you know yeah, what? If I can't get around this, I'm just, I just gonna like blast it. right through this. Right? I,
0: I do think you bring up a really good point though, because I think especially people of our generation, we face so much disruption to li- sit on your laurels mm. and just you know wait for mm. something to come to you. I don't think that's. Um, something our generation can do. We just don't have that uh, that privilege. We can't just sit down and be like, oh, I'm going to work this job for 20 years because mm. little do you know, you could be disrupted by some technology, some other company, et cetera, and your whole world could be turned upside down. So it's it's a very different time, I think, we live in now. Yeah.
1: So then, Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah.
2: For y- I think our, yeah, our, our cohort's grown up in the, the software world, right? I mean, like we we really started to use the the internet and whatnot, just as it was becoming widely available to the world. And, uh, um, you know, we were able to learn from software 1.0 and the, then the second era of software um, and see that evolve. And that just, it's second nature to us because we mm-hmm. grew up yeah. in that and using the tools and understanding what businesses need, what we needed. And I think we can almost resonate with our um, customers and, and colleagues better because of that. And, uh, you know, as we enter the third um, era of software, here, which I'd argue is, you know, delivering value to your customers by piecing together a lot more APIs and modules, it's like we can, we can deliver on that value perhaps, you know, as well or if not better because we, we, we understand these tools and how they can make our lives better and make workers' lives better on a daily basis. Mm. So I, I certainly think that's an advantage that you hit on there.
0: Mm. Fantastic. Mm. All right, Tim. So now we'll move on to our uh, success habits questions. So now, you know, our podcast is obviously called The 5am Grind. <laughs> <laughs> we always like to ask our guests. So what time do you wake up in the morning? What's your morning routine like? Curious to, curious to hear that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've always been an early riser. So I am, uh, if not five, it's, you know, 5.15, 5.30 at the latest oh, uh, nice. as I'm sleeping, uh-huh. but uh, I'm an early riser. And well, uh, morning routine, it's typically a workout. Um, get in a quick workout uh, right off the bat. Um, I, I tend to uh, try and get that in nice and early while catching up on work. If it's, you know, in the winter and I'm on the, the trainer with the, the bicycle and, uh, um, you can almost do emails at the same time and get an early start to your day. Um, and then I, I do employ some intermittent fasting where I won't, you know, eat breakfast until it's been a, uh, 12 plus hour window after my last meal. And I just think that, um, uh, less you be super mentally sharp right off the bat when you wake up and, uh, I've seen quite a bit of advantages from that, but, uh, it's a little bit on my morning routine. So
0: nice. Fantastic. Do you, uh, so we also asked like to ask our guests, just like in terms of personal planning development, even for your company, do you use any methods to plan out your entire year, monthly, weekly, do like personal productivity or just planning? Are you into that stuff?
2: Totally. Yeah. That's a, that's a loaded question. <laughs> like, we could spend all day on that one. <laughs> yeah. So I do, um, thinking blocks, like I'll put thinking blocks in my calendar um every yeah. week to make sure i have time to you know step away um go think about the bigger picture go plan the next you know whether it's whatever the topic of that that week is where i need where i need to spend attention so if it's planning the next week planning the next month planning that webinar that's in six weeks uh, um planning the next five years right and I, I i try to make uh make sure i spend time uh doing that and uh, um tools i use for that i mean it's uh um pretty old-fashioned in that sense it's often just uh thinking and then taking notes on anything important and uh um planning it out that way Uh, obviously like as a company we plan things on a pretty rigorous basis using a bunch of software tools but me personally uh um, in terms of vision and strategy and ideas and where the where the world's going to be um in two years 10 years it's uh it's a lot of scratch pad so
1: So when you're when you're kind of stepping away and and trying to get into that that zone, are you just kind of locking your office door or are you going for a hike? What are you doing to just kind of detach from the day to day operations and trying to see um, what you're missing essentially or where you think is everything is going? So what's your kind of where's that physical space um, that accompanies a mental space?
2: Yeah. And I wish I could say it was easy enough to get away, to go to a hike for (laughs) that, uh, that hour, two hour block, but uh, um, unfortunately not the case at this point, but uh, no, it's uh, you know, it's the office door. Um, I guess Mm -hmm. in the remote world, it's the, the home office door Um, it's, you know, going out for a walk or, you know, um, it's uh, it can be the commute into the office Um, just having that, that space where you just uh, um, can get away um, from the, the computer for you know, x amount of time that you've blocked out, and uh, um, being able to just have that ability to flick the mindset into mm. that uh, that mode. So, mm. Mm. I mean, it's admittedly something you need to do do much more of, and I could be better <laughs> at myself. I mean, uh, Bill Gates was famous for his think thinking weeks. Yeah. I'd Like to get to that at some point, but mm. uh, um, we're we're heavy we're heavy in uh, build and uh, uh, move fast mode, and uh, so I don't know, I have necessarily the time on my side yeah. to do that quite yet, but maybe eventually.
1: Exactly. I, think, I think Warren Buffett has something similar where he says that your, your calendar should have a lot of empty, empty time there just yeah. to <laughs> think through and figure everything out. and Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah that's so true. And then, uh, Tim, so the other one I like to ask a lot of people or guests that come on the show is that if someone is afraid to start a new business or embark on a new career, what advice would you give them? For someone just, you know, on the cusp of trying something, but they're just a little bit scared, what advice would you give
2: them? Just, just go for it. I mean, uh, you know, we have a phrase on our uh, uh, sales team, nothing, nothing uh, ventured, nothing gained. Right. And uh, um, obviously everything, you know, you got to take it within context and it needs to be a calculated bet, of course, but uh, um, you really, you know, I think There's a couple of things I could chalk up to in my career that I've, that I've learned that have led me to be successful. Uh, But one of them is when there's opportunities, you you need to take it. If you believe in it, you've done all your homework, you've, you know, you've truly fulfilled the work to, to be confident in that idea. And your gut's telling you yes, your head's telling you yes, your data's telling you yes. um, Then, then you got to make that, you got to make that leap. So opportunities only come around that are uh, um, right so often and uh, you got to capitalize on them.
0: So, as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you deal with uncertainty all the time. How do you manage dealing with uncertainty? Because you know, there's that famous quote by J.P. Morgan: "The only certainty in life mm-hmm. is uncertainty." How do you deal with uncertainty on a day-to-day basis? Just taking risks, etc.
2: Absolutely, and uh, you know, running a business, there's there's certainly uh, no shortage of uncertainty. <laughs> um, so it's something you become you become comfortable with, and you almost expect uh, the longer you are in it, and uh, you you know, you, you, I, I think it goes back to what we were discussing earlier a little bit too. It's, you know, having the right data, having the right gut feeling, um, um, taking the indicators that you do know are factual in the environment breaking things down, first principle thinking, like here's the, here's what we know is true. Um, here's how we can deconstruct what, you know, the perception in the market, the sentiment in the market, the um, what, what is unknown and bring it back to what we do know and then build from there. Uh, it's, you know, start with what you do know, um, work towards creating a frame to put around that uncertainty so that it's, You know, you do have more higher probability of success within that Mm -hmm. uncertainty Um, and looking at all the options, right? I think a lot of people fail to evaluate what, what are the possibilities that could take place here and let's prepare for each of those and then align our chips if you will on the one that we think is most likely to take place but be ready for all those so then when x event happens in the uncertain environment well you were ready for it you were unprepared right um or you were prepared but we had a a competitor recently that was uh, um acquired and mm-hmm. uh, you know first question from investors and whatnot. Um, was this a surprise to you? And and the answer is no. I'd prepared, you know, for this for months, um, thinking that something might take place in our market space. And so when it happened, I had the playbook ready to go. Um, And uh, I think most people, you know, in a lot of cases would have been caught flat-footed, but um, I I had a hunch this was taking place. So I started doing the work on something taking place a little bit early and, uh, you know, speaking to colleagues, what do you do if you know ex-competitor gets acquired what you know uh talking to our board members about it and uh, uh, just an example of you know something that may not even have ever taken place but um being prepared for a situation like that in which something may happen just trying to cover all your bases and uh, um, prepare for the unknown so
0: got it any and last question here just on success habits in general When you look back at your life, um, any big failures or regrets that you have, you know, lessons learned, and I don't really like to call them failures, but lessons learned that you could sort of impart to a lot of listeners who are sort of, you know, entrepreneurs as well, trying to, you know, move up in their career or just launching a new business. What are some lessons you can, uh, you would impart on some of these new budding entrepreneurs?
2: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip the twist the question the answer a little bit on that one. So for me, it's been it's been hard work, right? Um, Everything I've accomplished in my career uh, has always come down to me being able to try and outwork everyone else who is at the table um, for that position or for that. Um, for that, that role or that performance or that success. And, uh, it's really just been digging in grit. I mean, there's no, there's no way around it from as far as I'm concerned. Uh, um, it's always been my, my go-to, um, way to, uh, try and achieve anything. Right. It goes back to when you're a kid. know building a a little business on the um the corner to uh you know sports um just outworking anybody else uh, that's going for that position um same thing you know you guys went to good schools as well it's like being competitive and trying to get into the good program you got to work everybody and being successful there and uh, competing for that job at a school you're often competing for one position you know, uh, if maybe there's ten positions in all of Canada with with that firm, and you, you need to out hustle and out work everybody to be better prepared. And uh, um, and I think the same thing goes, you know, for being able to uh, build a company. I mean, our, you know, I try and I take that with me, and I, I don't just work hard for the sake of working hard. It's it's obviously trying to work smart uh, is often a big component of working hard. But uh, um, making sure you you know that's that's our that's one of our secret um, um, pieces of our secret sauce is just being able to outwork all our competitors outwork work, um, everyone in the industry. And that's, that's ultimately how we're going to win and, uh, um, build this into a hundred million dollar companies. We're going to work harder. We're going to work smarter. Um, and so just applying that same principle that I've used my whole life and making sure everyone in our culture and on our team also believes in, you know, the, the value and hard work and, uh, um, you know, in building something that, know, no one else has built before or very few have ever built before it's going to take a different level of uh, dedication focus and uh, hard work to get it done and uh, um, so that's something I would you know there's no shortcuts to success right Uh, um, I think you know it's a bit cliche but I think it's true you just got to put in the work and, uh, and get it done.
0: All right. I love it. I think uh, we can end it there. Yeah. Thank you so much. There are no shortcuts to success. I love it.
2: <laughs>
0: All right, I like it. Thank, Thank you, you guys. so much. It's been great. Thank you so much, Tim.